Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this very special episode of Progressive Palaver, Tom Corcoran and I are joined by Hired Gun director Fran Strine and music legend Ray Parker Jr. Fantastic. All right. So we are very, very excited uh, this evening to not only branch out a little bit from what we normally talk about here on the Palaver, but also to have some uh, some some very special guests. So uh, so Tom, you are there joined in person by uh, Fran Strine, and Fran has been an on-set photographer and videographer for Stained, Nickelback, Five Finger Death Punch, and Dolly Parton. Which one of these does not like the other? Fran uh, directed a live concert video for Dolly called Dolly Live in London O2 Arena, released in 2009, and he is the director of Hired Gun. Next to Fran is, of course, Ray Parker Jr. Ray is in the middle of a already long yet storied career. He began performing in the 60s at Detroit's famous 20 Grand nightclub, co-wrote and recorded his first song with Marvin Gaye at 16 years old, his resume includes playing, writing, producing, and even acting. In addition to his own band, Radio, his list of collaborators is quite huge and includes, among others, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, The Carpenters, Jean-Luc Ponty, Gladys Knight and the Pips, Aretha Franklin, Tina Turner, Diana Ross, Boz Skaggs, and New Edition. And uh, Ray is currently uh, producing the Ray Parker Jr. Show podcast. And additionally... Um, Fran and Ray are also collaborating on a new documentary called Who You Gonna Call? So, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us here on the Palaver this evening. Well, thanks for those wonderful introductions. Great research there. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you. And uh, plus, you guys are our first star guests. So we wanted to start out talking um, a little bit about Hired Gun. And, uh, you know, Tom, you had suggested perhaps you had a couple of questions maybe to get the, the, uh, the conversation rolling here. Yeah. So we are embarking on uh, a, a new documentary called Who You Gonna Call? Yes. Uh, this is the second documentary that you two have worked on together, yeah. Hired Gun uh, being the first one. You want to talk a little bit about how you guys first met? Well, Jay Graydon called you. Exactly. Yeah, Jay Graydon, who is an old friend of mine from a really, really old friend of mine. And I trust him explicitly. He told me, you got to do this thing, Hired Gun. So, you know, he was talking about, well, we could send you to this. And then I said, I don't want to see none of that stuff. <laughs> if Jay said, do it, I'll just do it. And that'll be the end of that. You know? Sometimes you have to make these executive decisions that don't right. take all day. <laughs> so I don't want to read a script for two days. And I don't want to read 20 pages. And I don't want to hear a big pitch. Jay said, do it. So I said, I'll go do it. I remember you were on set with us during the interview. Mm -hmm. yeah. And Ray had just come back from uh, Japan the night before. He was exhausted. Yeah. I was a little so, sleepy when I seen him on the big screen. It's like, yeah. oh, my gosh, just so, a little tired. You know? In interviewing him, I'm hearing all these cool stories because I just thought he was the Ghostbuster guy. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I did, admittedly, I love the other woman. Because mm -hmm. I heard that in the 70s growing up. My mom and I, we lived in the yeah. project in Marietta. <laughs> so my entertainment was an FM radio. And the other woman would come on and had that fuzzy guitar. And I'm like, well, I'm into Kiss and Alice yeah, Cooper yeah, yeah. and Ray Parker yeah, Jr. Yeah, yeah. because it sounds cool. Yeah. You know, so I, really, I was familiar with that. So I was excited because I'm going to interview Ray. And yeah. then, 
you know, we did hired gun interview and he was so tired. I think he just left out a bunch of shit because yeah, 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 right, yeah. <laughs> like, now that I've known Ray for several years, we've traveled around the world together, promoting a hired gun. We're sitting there talking on these long flights or just over dinner. And he starts telling me all these mind melting stories that he excluded from our interview. And I'm like, yeah. You just left out four hours of like a feature <laughs> well, film. You did everything though in one. Well, one well it is. Well, when you're flying with somebody in Australia, it's a 17 yeah. hour flight, and then we're hanging out there. I yeah. mean, we got lots of time to do nothing but yeah. eat some food and talk and just kick it around. You know? Yeah. So right. it, was re- it was really cool to learn more about his his story besides what we got that one day over two or three hours. Sure. Now I've got a, a wealth of information to work off of, and to me that that's a it's a dynamite story from beginning to end. No doubt. We interviewed 65 people over right. two years. That must have been crazy to to cut a lot of stuff out. I mean, it's... Yeah. Now, now wait just a second. You know, I got cut out. I mean, the stuff where I thought I looked good. See, the next day I came out, I was prepared. I had my stuff, me and Luke at the plant yep. and Jay. And then he, I got cut on the floor. That's, I got that's why we're making another documentary. Please. Well, that's why. well I got to tell you this. Out of the 65 people... There's probably only two people I could think of that could do their own feature doc and raise one of them. Um, the story is that strong. Uh, I mean, you were there for Steve Vai, and I know that you were freaking out about that because he's your guitar hero. Yeah. And he's only in the movie for 10 seconds. So, of course, it killed me to, you know, gut him out of the movie. Lukather, I thought he deserved more time. Ray Foster. But... You know, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but when you've got partners that don't that don't <laughs> think like you sure. and also have power over creative decisions or the movie stops, you got to bend. So I bent, and I'm very proud of Hired Gun, but do I think it could have been better? Probably. I'll never know, you know. But uh, it was very difficult to make those some of those decisions. And like I said, some of them were, were not my decisions, but you got to do what's right for the movie. And he was a Hired Gun. I was actually a part of the yeah, yeah, part, of yeah, the part of the thing, yeah, yeah. But as, as you know, when I, you got when you got investors waiting exactly, yeah, and yeah. you can't keep them holding up, I'm not right. gonna do that to another yeah. investor. So I'm like, we gotta get the ball rolling. So yeah, so it was really tough because mm-hmm. uh, there's some fabulous stories and that that'll never see the light of day. Mm-hmm. You know, and you were there for, for a majority of them, so you know what's there. Yeah. See, I think they should let the director do his work. He knows what's interesting and what lack of interesting. If you could put more interesting things in the lag space, yeah. then it makes the whole thing better. You know? Yeah, I agree. Well, the thing is, no matter what you're given, I mean, the, just the sheer amount of interviews right. and the amount of people, I mean, you're going to have a hard time no matter what. Right. Even if someone says, do whatever right. you want, then you're, you're still going to have a hard time. 65 people over right. two years of time. Well, I knew immediately that Rudy Sarzo was going to be one guy. Liberty would be another Ray would have been had he told me his whole story. Yeah. But he, but he didn't. <laughs> I've yeah, been right. like, damn. You know, we left some other people, some people, some people out. But uh, he only gave me some of it. And it's only now that I hear that he's revealing some of these other. Like, did you know that he did the theme song to Moving On Up? He was on that? No. Moving on yeah, I'm playing yes. on that. Yeah. Do you know they play with Bill Withers on uh, Lovely Day on guitar? No. Lovely. That's Ray Parker. I didn't yeah. know either until two weeks ago when he yeah. told me. <laughs> I'm like, you excluded that? I would have put that in the damn movie. <laughs> he didn't know until Bill Withers was on his way over here. Yeah, Bill Withers. How about this? I show up to Ray's house the first day, Monday. I fly in. I walk in. First of all, he's playing tennis with five hot chicks yeah. on the tennis court, right? <laughs> After I fly in, he goes, oh, okay, well, come, come over to the studio. I got some guests coming over. I come over. It's Bill Weathers, Jeffrey Osborne, 
uh, great, great filling games. Yeah. I'm like, oh my god, man! There's a Hall of Fame band right here. So yeah. we start filming. Oh yeah, <laughs> I was like, roll camera, roll you camera. Know what I, mean? yeah. I had Lee Levin over here with me. Wow, uh, shooting. So I'm like, uh-huh. dude, get it's a hard life over here. You oh, know what I'm saying? <laughs> Things that happen. Yeah, it's around. just like, like yesterday, he went to go Starbucks. He's like. He calls me up. He's like, hey, man, get to the house. We're doing a podcast with Ernie Hudson. Yeah. I just ran into the Starbucks. He's just come over in an hour. Yeah, we got the two Ghostbusters together, <laughs> yeah. me wow. and Ernie Hudson. We have the Ghostbuster <laughs> yeah, and the yeah, guy yeah. who wrote Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So anyway, back, back to the hired gun thing. So, you know, the beauty of doing this film, who are you going to call? I'm calling all the shots. Mm-hmm. There are no partnerships. There are nobody. If I'm going to take anybody's advice, it's going to be raised because he's got a wealth of, of advice to give. I'll I'm just going to give him. He, he has my complete trust. Yeah. Like the Godfather. Right. My, talk to Mikey. Yes. And that means a lot it's to me, too, man. my complete trust. Now, I'm going to tell him all the information, but he's got to make it interesting. You know. Yeah. That, nice. I can do that no matter what. Nice. I mean, cool. your story is interesting enough. But uh, to have that, that faith and confidence in, in Ray that he's just given me unprecedented access to his life, his archives, his music. It's just, uh, I can't think of anything better. Well, uh, I think you're in good hands, Ray. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good hands, right? I, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of torn here if I want to just kind of go right into the meaty stuff or, or kind of build it up a little bit. But, but building off meaty a little stuff, bit man. about um, what you guys were, were talking about before I get into the, the really juicy, juicy stuff. Um, so, you know, Tom, you guys can't hear me? No, no, yeah. no. I'm just saying the baby ain't mine. The kid yeah. ain't mine. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm just trying to save you some leaks, some, some air time here. You, know? you said you, you were going to break out some juicy stuff on us. I asked Ray, I was like, what does he know about yeah, us? I told him the kid ain't mine. It ain't my kid. <laughs> let's just, and, and we'll get into it, but, but Fran, let's just say that you did an excellent job in the movie of really conveying the power of some of the stories, both good and not so good. Um, and and I, I do want to get into that a little bit later on in terms of that. And and obviously, you know, Ray, we've got we've got a lot of stuff for you. But but very quickly, you know, just to start off with, to sort of start at the beginning. So Tom has been telling us about hired gun literally for years before the movie ever came out. That's because it took years. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget. He he shows up in in Dallas as Tom is wont to do, and I get a like a text or a phone call at like eleven o'clock in the afternoon or in the morning, and he says, he says, "Hey, I'm going to be in Dallas today. Can you meet for dinner?" Uh, sure. Why not? We can make that work. And we meet at a place called, I believe it was the Brick House. It was um, it was in far north Fort Worth, and we're sitting down, and he's like. I got to tell you this story, this project that I'm working on. You can't tell anybody about it. And, and he, <laughs> Thanks for telling somebody, yeah, Tom. Yeah, 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 now yeah, I know. just blew it, Joe. <laughs> Throw your boy under the bus. Yeah, like a rat. <laughs> and, but, but it was cool because, you know, here he was, and he was telling about recording all of these interviews and, and talk about brain melting. I mean, mine's just coming out of my, out of my, uh, out of my head onto the table and then we waited, and then we waited, and then we heard it was done, and we still couldn't see it. And we're like, ah! <laughs> so, you know, maybe quickly, if you could kind of tell us some of the, the challenges that you faced in, in making this particular film, and is it different from documentary filmmaking in general? Was this harder, easier? 
I mean, is this just part of the of the process? Well, when you're doing a documentary like this, uh, to go back into my my career, I, I'd worked for record labels and bands. So when you're working with a Dolly Parton or a Stained or Nickelback, they provide you with all the archival, all the music. You don't have to worry about clearing any of that stuff. It's already given to you. You just go out and film what you need and build your story. So I didn't have to jump those hurdles with any legal or clearing or anything. It was already done. In this instance, uh, it was very difficult because I didn't know what I was doing as far as clearing music. I was just like, well, I mean, does it really cost money to license music? Can you use so much of it for free? I didn't know. And Ray will tell you, no, you can't use music for free. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah. So, you got licensing, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, what do I do? So I called a, a music licensor named Julie Glaze Houlihan, who's pretty big here in Hollywood. And she's like, well, what's your budget for music? I'm like, I don't know. What? A couple $3,000? She goes, what? Yeah, right. I won't get it. <laughs> yeah. You know, to me, I was like, if I can make this movie for $50,000, okay. Yeah, you, you know, $800,000 later, you know, because it's very expensive to clear music and archival footage. Uh, if you remember seeing some of the Billy Joel footage, <clears throat> because he's a legacy artist, some of that stuff was $300 a second with a 30-second minimum buy. And then you got to pay the house right. $500 to pull the tape. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh. You know? So, wow. yeah. Uh, so... Some of those are getting the interviews and doing the interview process. Thankfully, I'd, I'd lived in a studio environment and the touring environment, so I knew I could get the interviews. And these musicians opened up and trusted me because I could speak their lingo. And they may have told me some stuff maybe they shouldn't have. So I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. I always called or asked before something controversial was going to be put in there because I don't want to hurt anybody. And then the second thing I learned about through Gavin actually was like, make sure you have a great audio guy because the audio is more important than the, the film or video because without that, you have nothing. So I ran, you know, uh, was he the one that turned me on to you? Mm -hmm. Gavin? Yeah. yeah. So Gavin introduced. By the way, the audio in film is great. Oh, thank you. I'm, yeah. I'm a geek guy. And I said, man, everything's crystal clear. It just sounded wonderful. You know? Yeah. So, and consistently. So we appreciate the love through the consistency. <laughs> oh, yeah. Of the film. For sure, you get the man. Same stuff on your, yeah. on your new one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we. Uh, God dang, I'm going to look good and sound yeah, good. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm ready to go here. You know? <laughs> Come on, look out, world. Uh, I know. So, yeah. So, you know, just finding all the right, the right team. So I quickly found out who was the right team and the wrong team. And uh, the only thing I demand out of anybody I work with are results and to make sure they're good because, A, I've got somebody's, I'm using somebody else's money to make this film. It's my responsibility to, to, to deliver and to kill. And I can't do that with uh, irresponsible workers or anything like that. So, you know, a couple of producers got cut right away after I found out they were just, you know, we had literally one guy. <laughs> <laughs> at East West Studio come in wearing like penny loafers and a thing around his neck and a you know, <laughs> salmon colored eyes yeah, on you know, didn't want to do any work look, I'm like look, yeah. you gotta go I fired him the next day I'm like you're out uh, and it's not me being mean it's just you know like if there's a lot of money at stake here that's not mine and uh, it's, it's my responsibility to make sure my investor gets his money back and I deliver a great movie you know what they always say the first 80% is easy it's the last 20% that's a mm. killer right yeah. And that's what it was. The last 20% of this movie took about five years off my life. Just the stress and the turmoil of, of making a movie and actually getting it out distributed 
you know, it's just like making a hit record, you know, uh, it's, it's a very hard thing to do and, and to have it delivered and distributed all over the world and everything else. So I feel extremely lucky and blessed that we get to that. Not only that, but you know, one of the biggest things was like, well, it's a music documentary. It's got lots of great music and it's got some great stories. You know, my biggest challenge was the sound mix. Now I called a bunch of places in LA to do the, the final sound mix. And then there's uh, where I live in Northern California. I'm wearing the shirt, Skywalker Ranch yeah. is one exit up from where I live. So I just took a stab in and sent them an email. There's no way to come. There's no phone number. It's impenetrable. You can't get in. So I just sent this little email. I'm like, hey, I've got this cool little movie. I live in Marin County. I'm in, you know, uh, uh, live in the community here. What can you do for me? You know, will you take a, take a listen to it and we'll watch it? Sent it off the next day. John Knoll, who's the production guy there that calls all the shots, <clears throat> wrote me back and says, we must mix this film. Can we send you a bid? And that was the weirdest thing I've ever heard because usually they're asked, what's your budget? You know, they wanted how much money they can take <laughs> for you. So, you know, and, and another thing you need to know about Skywalker Ranch, you just can't go in there with a bucket of money and get your movie mixed. They mm. got to want your project as a boutique wow. place. Yeah. So when we mixed Hired Gun, this is the company we were in. They, were, they have five mix stages there. They were, they were scoring Ben-Hur, the new mm. remake of Ben-Hur. Star Force's Awak Awakens was getting mixed. Mm. Uh, Big Friendly Giant by Steven Spielberg was right next door to where we were mixing. Uh, and Finding Dory too. And then you got Hired Gun. So those were the movies being mixed the same two weeks that my, you know, Hired Gun was being mixed. And our sound mixer, uh, Scott Lewis, <clears throat> said, Fran, he goes, who did the, the audio work? I was like, that was Thomas Corker. And he goes, tell him that's the this is the best sounding mix on a documentary I've ever done in my career. Usually the, the audio is all over the place. It's inconsistent. He goes, this is a slam dunk all the way through. Yeah, so that, that was a huge prop to, to Thomas, in my opinion. And that's why I just I won't use anybody else. Like, if we're ready to do, who are you going to call? And Thomas is on a gig, I'll wait. Production he, he's who he's who we gonna call. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now you 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 realize when when you're telling this story, you sound exactly like Alice Cooper in Hired Gun, explaining how he he does this, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. did did you have that perspective when you started, or yeah, because I had never done a, a movie of this scale before. I didn't really know. You know, I was going off instinct. And if I could get along with the person, because when you're touring, and Ray can probably tell you this too, it's like a cancer if there's a bad person in the bus. You know, you just don't want to be around it. It's like, you know, you're with them 24 hours a day. Just like Alice Cooper said, you don't want to be around a, an asshole, you know, all day long. And I started, I, look, I've been around a bunch of them touring and it's not fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, it's finding the right person and uh, getting the best results that I could out of, out of each of these people and being respectful to them, you know. One of the remarkable things about your story, Ray, mm -hmm. is how young you were when you were playing with the biggest names on the planet. Can you talk a little bit about even your first experiences, um, you know, playing with the spinners, um, when, you're, when you're first playing with people and you're, and you're that young? Uh, it's exciting. Well, first of all, the spinners had just had a tune, it's a shame. The way you mess around with the man. You know, so we knew they had a hit record right. in Detroit. And uh, Billy Henderson was the guy who approached me and my friend Ollie. And he said, if you can read this chart, Fascinating Rhythm. 
And it was like a big band jazz chart, you know. Mm-hmm. And here I am looking at this like, this is like bebop stuff, man. I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. But he said, if I could read that chart, I could have a gig. So that's the end of that. Yeah. So give me about a few minutes here to look I'll it over. I'll learn it. Look it over. And uh, I read the music and got the gig. So I actually got, you know, the first gigs were, I think it was, they picked me up Friday after school, bring me back Monday before school. And we drove to Indianapolis and somewhere else in Indiana. And you were, you know, you were 13, 13? Yeah, I was like 13, 14 at the wow. time. Yeah, wow. They had to ask my mother, could I, you know. They take me out and that kind of a thing, you know. Wow. And then that led to a whole bunch more stuff. I think I was playing a gig at a Latin Quarter, was a club in Detroit. And Hamilton Bohannon came in and heard me playing. He was the band leader for all the stuff at Motown. He's from Atlanta, by the way, oh, Macon, really? Georgia. Yeah. Oh, wow. And uh, he says, hey, I'm Hamilton Bohannon. I, I do the Motown big band. I'm going to put you in the band with the big folks. I'm talking about big league folks. That is nonsense, poop. But <laughs> opening show, Gladys Knight and the Pips, right? Wow. At 20 grand. So, I mean, it's just, for me, I just jumped in at an early age and got my feet wet, and it was just party time then. Was the 20, was the 20 grand a theater or a cl- like a nightclub? 20 grand was a, a big nightclub. Yeah. Okay. Where This is where all of the players, pimps, big drug dealers, I mean, everybody who had money was at the wow. 20 grand. And I'm sure the 20 grand sat at least, oh gosh, five, 600, maybe even more. Wow. Gladys Knight would have a line around the block. You know, mm. so it's got to be maybe it's a thousand people at the twenty grand. It was a pretty big place. Now that I'm I'm remembering it. Interesting. But it was the hot club of the day, like the Cotton Club in New mm. York or something like mm. that. It's one of those okay. kind of venues. Did Did you know the extraordinary circumstance that was at the time, or were you no. just like I'm just too playing. young? Yeah. I mean, you're fourteen, fifteen. You've been. This is what you do. I'm too young to to know that I'm sitting next to James Jameson, who became the world's greatest bass player, while I'm playing at the twenty grand, and we, you know, I sit in his car. Went in between shows and talked to him and just hang out. Wow. Yeah, I'm too young to know that those are the temptations or, you know, Smokey Robinson takes you in the studio. It's like, wow, I mean, I know I'm in Hitsville. I mean, it's exciting. It's mm-hmm. Motown. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we used to go over Marvin Gaye's house after we record just to sit in the living room and listen to playback, you know. Oh, my God. Put the seven and a half inch tape <laughs> oh on and just God. listen to the music back. And he had Tannoy speakers with Macintosh amps. I thought that was really cool. I had never seen that stuff before. Hey, do you ever take this for granted? No, absolutely not. I'm having a great time. Or do you just like time. just pinch yourself every I day? I pinch myself. I, I can't believe I'm me. <laughs> I mean, I've had a really interesting, I, I mean, it. you know, I well, it's, it's amazing. Once you get older, you look at the past and go, really? I mean, like, boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom. You know, it's it's really interesting, you know. I do the same mm-hmm. thing. If, if You know, Ray and I come from, say, like, he grew up in Detroit. I'm sure you, yeah. what, blue blue collar maybe? Why My dad was a blue collar worker, yeah, big well, time. He well, worked in the, the factory ghetto. at Ford. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in the uh, Boston homes and, and mm-hmm. Meritage, like the ghetto. Yeah. Government housing, government food. And then, uh, you know, we talk about, I mean, Ray lives in a beautiful house here in Calabasas, California. And I'm lucky enough to live in Marin County. And... Uh, I wonder myself, I was just like, man, how the hell did I get here? I mean, I know it's hard work and everything Yeah, but still, to be blessed enough to get here. Oh, yeah. There's so many things going wrong, starting with health. I mean, you can't Mm -hmm. program your health, right? So you got to have good health. You got to have people around you. I mean, just everything. For everything to go right is very exciting. It's a blessing. We should appreciate it. Do you ever get pissed off if somebody says, "You're, you're just lucky? Oh, I hear that all the time. Yeah. So do I, I mean, sometimes it I hear neighbors like, you kidding me? As much luck. as I stay up all day and all night, yeah. what are you talking There's about? No luck. luck. Oh. I tell There's people, the harder luck. I work, the luckier I get. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So when, when we're talking a little bit about some of the, uh, you know, some of the beginnings and the early stuff, Ray, um, so I, I've got a question here from, from one of our friends uh, concerning maybe your baby. And, and I do want to quote him directly. 
it's such a badass track. You were pretty young, right? How did the whole thing go down? Well, the whole thing went down as Stevie Wonder invited me to California to play on his album, Talking Book. That's what he wanted me to do. And that's the song he selected for me to play. And I thought it was funky as heck when I heard it. We did it at Capitals, um, excuse me, we did it at Crystal Sound Studios out here in Hollywood. And believe it or not, our second engineer on, on that session was Steve Perry from Journey. What? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, really? Yeah. The rabbit hole gets deeper. I love it. Yeah, I played with uh, Steve sometime. We talk, and, and he, he said, man, you were at Crystal then? I said, yeah, I was there. He says, well, I was the second engineer back then. You know, so we were there wow. at Crystal Sound at the same time. Another man. story Rainey collected yeah. to tell me to put another who you're going to talk about. Oh, let Thanks, me tell you something. Let me, <laughs> I got lots of stories, and let me tell you, and let me tell you one of them. And I got this one. Uh, my wife is from Oregon, and she said the first concert she ever saw was Journey, right? So she's making this big fuss about Journey. I said, you know, it ain't that big a deal, dear. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so I didn't say anything to her, but I went to, to Steve and I said, Steve, would you sing happy birthday to my wife on the phone? Because for some reason she that. thinks you're a big deal. So he actually sang happy <laughs> birthday reason. to my wife and I brought that home to her and I, that shut her up big time. <laughs> right? How many wives get a, a birthday sing video from Steve Perry. So, I mean, I just thought that was a hot thing. Wow. Oh, my God. You see, not everyone can do that for their wife. So that's exactly. very cool. <laughs> you raised the bar. Yeah, you raised the bar, right? So, one of, Ray, one of the things that you, you did mention in, uh, in Hired Gun was um, that you wanted to be the guy on the album. And, and when you told the story in the movie, what really drove that was you would, apparently you had, had presented a record that you had played on to your mom and she said, well, I don't see you on there. And you're like, exactly. what's that about? And, and so then you made this decision that you wanted to be the guy on, on the album cover. So can you tell us a little bit about when that first happened and, and how that felt different maybe from what you had done previously? And, and what did your mom have to say? Well, you know, the, first of all, people, you get so caught up in what you're doing that you forget the overall basics. You know, like some people, they're on tour. They forget, wait a minute, they didn't come to see you. They came to see the star, right? right. You're playing in a band. And we won't mention names, but, you know, even France told me, yeah, yeah, so, so, so. He said, well, they ain't, they ain't, they ain't buying that because of you. They buying it because mm -hmm. of me. And so you, you, even though you're playing in front of the crowd, it looks like they're looking at you, but they're really looking like two feet to the left, yep. to the star. And so my mother, when I explained to her, that I thought I was doing well and I was writing these songs, I was doing all this. She didn't see my name. She didn't see my face. She was like, well, I don't see you. It ain't that big a deal. You know, when I see you on TV, I don't see you on TV. Right. And so my thing was, you know, it, it wasn't like, well, she doesn't understand. I'm a songwriter. It was like, no, maybe she does understand. She don't see me. Yep. That's what's wrong. <laughs> In fact, I don't see me. You know what I mean? And when they had my name on the label, I remember it said R. Parker. It didn't even say Ray. It's only three letters in Ray. To R, the R and the dot is taking up two characters. Give me, my mother said, can't you get one more character? Here's the A-Y. And let alone, forget Junior. There was no Junior. Just R. Parker. And even I got a little pissed over that once I I'm thought about sure. it. And I said, man, you know what? As all this hard work I'm doing with all this stuff, we, I got to get my picture on the cover. I got a question. In the, in the like when you were a session guy, yeah. are there any archives or like uh invoices to track back history of who put no, on what no. they didn't keep they even notes. give you credits 
Oh, well, union, some of the musicians' unions will have some of that stuff. But how far does that go back? Doesn't go it doesn't back. go back far enough to, for my pension plan to get more money. I'll tell you not. that. They act really? like they lost everything. I mean, for a while, the union wasn't paying me on Ghostbusters. They didn't believe I played on it. What? Yeah. yeah, yeah we could talk about that, too, in the movie. Oh, my God. That's what I'm saying. I got stories that are shocking. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, I mean, it's it's just, you know, sometimes in Detroit, they didn't give album credit. So all of that stuff is lost. You know, only the insider people know who played on what and who did what. And uh, as time has gone on, the general public has become more interested in how these things were made and history and all that stuff. And some of this history stuff is wrong. Like I look at Discogs and all music and some of the Holland Doja Holland stuff, they're talking about uh, the politicians played on or some other bands. Like they weren't there. I'm playing on it. What are you talking about? Me and some friends, we look at it like they got all this stuff wrong, you know. Interesting. And so it's a it's it's it'd be interesting in our lifetime. We need to get a lot of this stuff corrected and just get the information correct, you know. So when do we get to the juicy stuff? And Tom could tell you I'm the historian of the group. I have all kinds of crazy crap from <laughs> when and when we were young. Um things that I have no reason to keep other than this is what I do. But uh yeah, so I, I'm a big fan of of getting history right and and obviously, you know, this this whole sort of subject matter. You know, it is, it's fascinating. I can remember, you know, when I first, you know, sort of became cognizant as a music listener and you start to hear the first time about, you know, session musicians and it's like, well, you know, what do you mean this band didn't actually record this album? All these other people did. And and it was, it, it was a difficult concept to get, you know, your brain around, but, you know, it obviously, you know, and and Fran, I'm, I'm glad you made the movie because you know these are stories that that need to be told and and they're they're fascinating stories as well. Yeah, well, it's funny, like you know the American Idol guys like Daughtry and Kelly Clarkston. Like you go see them in concert, you see these guys on stage. None of them played on the record. <laughs> right. it was, yeah, it was it was Josh Freeze on drums, mm-hmm. Phil Lux on guitar, and Paul Bushnell on bass on all those American Idol records, every one of them. But they don't go out to where the artist. And what's funny was Phil X told me, he goes, when Daughtry did a second record, he thought he'd just bring his touring band in and record. Yeah. Well, guess what? (laughs) They couldn't cut the mustard. So the producer immediately called back Phil X and was like, Mm -hmm. these guys can't get the tones you got. They don't got the licks. Can you come in here and save the day? They definitely can't do it fast enough. Right. It's got to all happen fast. Let me tell you now. Talk about that, how, how money... Yeah, in the studio, like there's no yeah, in the studio. Buttons. They only got a few hours, so not only do you have to have a sound, be creative, and come up with all the stuff, but it's got to happen in a timely fashion. You ain't got all day. To like work how many it time, out. how many takes would you get back in the day? Like when you're oh, your when I just did a, a session for Quincy Jones this weekend, we only did four or five takes. Really? You know, and yeah, the guy was working on it. Boom, boom, boom. And I brought him on the fourth, fifth time. They were talking. Okay, we got it. This is Wait, it. Man. You know. Now he just said the Quincy Jones's name like it was Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> Like I just worked for Quincy Jones. I'm like, well, it was Sunday. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it was this. It was this. It was it Saturday? It was either Saturday. It was, it was last weekend. Ago. Saturday. You you it was Saturday. Jones. I'm sorry. It was Saturday. Yeah, it was Saturday. It's three days ago. And by the way, Mark Ronson, who did Uptown Funk, was producing Quincy Jones. I know you've done a lot of stuff with um, uh, Boss Gags, and mm-hmm. um, uh, Steve Lukather was actually on a lot of those recordings. Yeah. My question is. When you are playing with another session guitar player, um, do you have it already kind of worked out what your parts are? No, or we don't do you have just nothing kind of go into a room and say, all right, let's just 
figure this out now. Yeah. We don't have anything worked out. Before the session, we're eating or talking or drinking or doing whatever. Yeah. And we ain't even paying no attention to the song. We wait till we get in there. And then we listen to each other, and he finds something to play, and I find something to play. Mm. And hopefully the producer likes what we're finding, something to play. But we usually come up with pretty good parts, you know. Mm -hmm. And he plays differently from me, so I'm usually playing the rhythm part, and he'll play the lines or some other stuff, and we'll compliment each other. Who's your favorite guitar players product. to play with? Like if you saw him oh, in the room, oh, I, First of all, like Steve Lukather, Jay Graydon, Lee Rittenauer, Dean Parks, uh, David T. Walker, Wawa Watson. That's that's the big boys club right there. And Don Peake, too. Don Peake played on the beginning of Marvin Gaye's uh, uh, Let's Get It On. That's Marvin. And he also played on You Lost That Love and Feeling for the Righteous Brothers. Oh, wow. Yeah, and used to go on tour with the Everly Brothers and was in Ray Charles' band. When he yeah. got arrested, Don Peake was the already only in the white band. guy in yeah, the band. Yeah. And he's playing on ABC. is one, two, three. So he's on the Jackson Five. I mean, all kind of stuff. He's got a long history down, Pete. You know what's funny about all those guys? I'm a metal. Like if I had my, I'd be listening to Judas Priest, yeah. <laughs> Alice Cooper, right, Maiden. Right. But hanging out with Ray, man, I'm rediscovering. Yeah, we're gonna convert 70s. his. We're gonna convert him a little bit over no, to the left. No, that's what I've been side. listening yeah. to. Yeah, right, I, yeah, I, yeah. I yeah. listen to Bill Weathers, man. Yeah. I, you know, I was like, "Use me." I heard that, and I was just mm -hmm. like, "God, this is funky, man." What's the the craziest thing, either on stage or in the studio, that has really stuck with you throughout, you know, your career? Is, is there is there one or two things that you're just like, "Man, I can't believe I saw that. That was crazy." <laughs> well, I can think of millions of things, but I tell you one: when I met Barry White, he played a song. And I had a part in my head, and he was playing, just playing back a, a thing, and he had the speakers all the way up loud. And I was in the back with the tape recorder, and I hit stop. He got pretty pissed off that all the music stopped right in the middle of when he was grooving. And I said, dear Mr. White, I mean, um, I said, this is a nice song, but I got an idea. And it got really, really quiet for a while, you know? Like he was gonna kill me. <laughs> and then he said, well, get out there and play it then, you know, with that big, deep voice. And I went out and I played a few bars of it and I thought he was going to stop and rewind the tape. And he said, keep fucking playing it, you know. <laughs> and I played the whole thing and he just loved it. But on the actual record, there's a bar or two of me not playing. And that's where he said, keep playing it. You know, he was yelling at me. He didn't really, he didn't want to re redo it. He just let me play it straight down. And then we were good friends ever since. What, uh, which song is that? I'll have to, I want to go back. I can't think of the name of it, but it had a train whistle in the front of it. It's on Love Unlimited Orchestra album, the first one. You had one of your, your first hits with, with Barry White. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, a tune called You See the Trouble With Me. Uh, well, at first I had one on his instrumental album, but a tune called You Trouble With Me, We You See the Trouble With Me, we wrote it together. I wrote the music and he wrote part of the words because I wrote some of the words, and it just became a huge hit. So, Fran, besides Ray, who is the coolest, most down-to-earth hired gun that you interviewed for the movie? Oh man, that's a tough question. I gotta be honest. Glad with you. you said besides Ray. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very clever. Very yeah. clever. <laughs> uh, down to earth. I mean, look, everybody was so nice to me and opened up and, and told me all their stories. I, this is hard to do. Rudy Sarzo. I mean, Sarzo, he was good. I mean, so many Liberty good DeVito. people. Everybody look, poured their Steve, heart out. Yeah. yeah, Steve Vai had done a, a video interview in four and a half, five years, and agreed to do one with us. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, he he was a treasure trove of information. Uh, oh my God, Steve Lukather. Steve could have his own movie for sure. Jay Graydon. I mean, Ray's best friend. They're like brothers. 
he is Jay Gray, hands down, is the funniest human being on the planet Earth. <laughs> yeah, and he is hysterical. And with that hair he got now, he looks like uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> got the old lady, like the eighty-year-old yeah. lady's hairspray uh, that holds your hair yeah, in place. I'm yeah. like, Jay, are you <laughs> we, serious? We did our last time yeah. looking like that. When we did that screening, I had to beg him to come to a screening in L.A. for the. Yeah, I got to take him shopping. Man, we're gonna have to hang out and get a little makeup. He ain't gonna wear nothing but those khaki. We got to get a makeup. I don't think he ever goes outside. That's why. Exactly. He's damn. He's white as that damn LED light. Yeah. But I remember he said he's like, I gotta get my hair painted before we go to this. Yeah, morning. yeah. Jeez. Colors his hair, all this shit. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get my hair painted. <laughs> I gotta paint my mop, is what he said. But they're all look. Everybody was so cool, man. Nobody showed up with an ego. I tell you who I was nervous interviewing was David Foster, because I always heard that you know mm. David Foster, well, he's a real asshole. David well, Foster's that's what people That's, that's what people that. told me. Yeah. And I showed up at his house in Malibu. He lives in a fucking mm -hmm. palace. Sure he does. Now you saw that. the small one. Yeah. It was small. <laughs> the one you saw was gigantic. the small one. Gigantic. Anyway, uh, 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 Larry Ellison bought his real house. Oh, really? And that was, uh, he had a palace. house so big that to go, he had several houses on the on the estate. Yeah. And you needed a golf cart to go from house to oh house gosh, to studio geez. to, and then he had a, a tennis court. Mm -hmm. And from the tennis court, you take the tram up to the, Living oh, room wow. of the house. So yeah. you saw the little house. That yeah. was like one of the little 13,000 square foot. That wasn't yeah. that. Yeah, it was still huge. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, right. yeah. He could have been nicer, man. He, yeah. I mean, he gave me his career. And I, I cry because I don't have that footage anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about from when he was five years old when he found out he yeah. had a perfect pitch. Like his yeah. mother could go hit any key on the piano and he could name the, name the key. Mm -hmm. Just just because, I guess. And how it works, perfect pitch. But anyway, he was super nice. He gave me some really cool advice, which I take to take with me to this day. It's like, you know, he goes, I'm he goes, I'm good. Like I know I'm good at what I do, but I surround myself with people better than me because right. it makes me yeah. look better. Yeah. So and that's what I'm taking with me moving forward on all my projects. Like I, I know who to bring back now and who not to bring back. And I already know making this new movie with Ray is going to be a pleasant experience from beginning to end. Right. Because they're the best that they, they can be at. And we all get along. I love Thomas. Like we keep in touch even when we're not working, just joking around and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so somebody just again. give us a little money so we can get going on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how can exactly. you be, stop all this fun and all this creativity just for a couple of dollars here or there? Yeah, Come on. Right. Yeah. Were you a little nervous before you interviewed Alice Cooper? Well, you were there. Yeah. I was shitting my pants. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let me go back. I, that's why I brought it up. Yeah. Because <laughs> we were both pretty nervous. Yeah. We were well, I made you nervous. nervous. Yeah. I made him. You know how you can make Made him nervous, nervous. Oh, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, so I've been listening to Alice Cooper since Love It to Death came out when I heard 18, right? Uh, I've never met the guy. I've seen him in concert a thousand times. He's this lore about this guy, just mm -hmm. Alice Cooper. Yeah, right. You yeah. know what I mean? It's Alice Cooper, baby. So I'm, I'm living in Northern California, and I get the call. Uh, you can interview Alice tomorrow in Reno, Nevada at 3 o'clock. Can you be there? I was like, of course I'll of be course there. Of course I'll be there. <laughs> I'll drive. Whatever I got to do. It's only three and a half, four-hour drive. So I I called Thomas. I'm like, Thomas, Alice Cooper tomorrow. Can you right. do it? Yeah. I'm doing a commercial for, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, I've fallen and I can't get up. Yeah. <laughs> the old lady. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. You're going to do her that? We're busy. Or, yeah, tell her to stay on the floor. We'll be back with it. Stay down there a little while. Right? <laughs> we'll be back for you, lady. So, anyway, <laughs> so we make it happen. We go. We're at like O'Hara's Casino yeah. or some shit. Yeah. Uh, I wrangle Thomas to come up, 
and uh, he flies in. It was so expensive to fly him in because it was the last day in, in, in flying him in, in Torino. It well, of cost, course, I wanted to go first class. Too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're in the room. I got everything set up, and Alice's uh, assistant calls me. I was like, he's like, I got Alice Cooper with me. We'll be up there in two minutes. I immediately start sweating. I get nauseous. I'm literally, I'm literally jumping around up and down like a little schoolgirl, and then I see Thomas pacing back and forth. <laughs> I'm like, "Are you nervous?" He goes, "You're making me nervous." <laughs> I was like, "Okay." So anyway, when the door opens, there's Alice. He's got some black eyeliner on. Right. And it, it, the reason I'm not, I was like, "Is he gonna come in with a sword or a dead baby?" <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. What do you know what I mean? Because that's, that's the persona. He was so nice and so down to earth. And he immediately calmed my nerves within the first two minutes. That's because he's also from Detroit. Yeah, he is. Mm -hmm. Another Detroit guy. Yeah. And uh, we sat down. I was only supposed to get 20 minutes with him. And uh, he was so into the conversation about what we were talking about. He was like an hour almost. Mm -hmm. And then he introduced me to Nita Strauss and Glenn Sobel, his drummer, that are also in Hired Gun. But one for Alice, right. those guys would have been in the mood. Because you mm -hmm. want to interview Nita, my new guitar player? She's amazing. Mm -hmm. yeah. And she's hot. And I'm like... Well, duh, bring her up here. I'll interview her. <laughs> you know, and then she turned me on to Glenn Sobel, who yeah. has that fantastic drum solo in Hired Gun that people, they mm -hmm. literally jump up in the movie theater and start Yeah, he's, he's, he's a good player. Oh, my God. He's amazing. So, yeah, Alice Cooper freaked me out. Yeah, for sure. I know you have a kind of a crazy story about Marvin Gaye. Well, I'll let you tell it, but it has to do with a Cadillac. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that story. That's my favorite story. <laughs> Ooh, what is it? Oh, they, they had the Marvin Gaye... Um, documentary they did and they kicked me out of it because I told this story but they said tell us what you remember about Marvin Gaye it was so exciting everybody's gonna say yeah he sang great I mean I'm not discounting well, that but of course he's an unbelievable writer and, and putting voices together nobody's better than Marvin Gaye I don't think anybody can think of but what I remember is is I think it was either 15 or 16 years old. I don't even know if I had a driver's license yet I went to the studio with Marvin Gaye, and they like to smoke those funny cigarettes, right? <laughs> you know, they were all, everybody was partaking in what it was they were doing. And Marvin looked over at me, and he, I think he felt bad that I was, like, underage and maybe felt like we shouldn't be doing this in front of Ray. So he, he had a car that looked just like the one in Superfly, that blue one in Superfly, the Cadillac with the bug eyes and the padded top and the burst bars on the back. Well, Marvin had one burgundy that was prettier than the blue one. It's just burgundy red with all the seats are burgundy red. And he just threw me the keys of the car and told me, why don't I take a drive for a couple hours? Let me take <laughs> I'm sitting there in this $47,000 Cadillac. It would cost more than every house on my neighborhood combined, right? <laughs> More than my money my dad's going to make in 10 years. Right. And I'm leaning, and I have my head right under the center mirror. I'm leaning over so hard, you know. And the first place I went is to my high school. And then I looked at everybody <laughs> wanted to jump in the car and go for a ride. I rolled the windows up. said, no, nah, man, letting y'all mess this up for me. You know what I mean? And I couldn't pull over and stop because I just went by waving for so I was the coolest guy in the world for a couple of hours, you know. <laughs> and I told that story because that is what I remember. To me, that was just so super exciting, you know. Well, and, what, uh, what cracks me up about that story is, is that Marvin Gaye didn't want you to be around when they were smoking pot, yeah. but he sticks a 15-year-old in his Cadillac. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he let me ride the Cadillac, oh man. Oh, my God. I think Marvin Gaye had a good sense of humor. He's on the right track. <laughs> He's making his body look cool. I got a funny story about Ray that I can tell. 
And this is so ironic to me. It's like, just what does this? I know what you're going to say. This was one of my questions. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad so you didn't bring it up. So we, we were in, uh, so you know, everybody knows he wrote and performed and sang Ghostbusters, song about killing ghosts or whatever. So we're doing a hired gun screening for the Grammys, right? To get, to get nominated for a Grammy. So we go to Chicago, uh, San Francisco, Nashville, Nashville yeah. several places. And I booked all the hotels. I was just like, fuck it, wherever we're staying. Decent hotels, you know. And we show up to Chicago, and Ray looks, before we even go in the, open the door, he goes, I can't stay here. <laughs> I'm like, what, is it not bougie enough? He goes, I know, it's too old. I can't, it's spooky. This is spooky to me. I can't stay here. I'm like, what are you, I don't know what you're, spooky. Let's, let's just walk through it. We did, and he's like, nope, can't do it. I cannot stay here. Come to find out, Ray's terrified of ghosts. And he was telling me the story about when he would go to Europe, He'd be staying in these beautiful $1,000 night penthouse suites, and it was so old and creepy that he'd go down and sleep in the damn yeah, lobby. Yeah, I don't know. Talk don't. about that for a minute. Yeah, I have some issues. <laughs> <laughs> Even here in this beautiful yeah. home that's modern, yeah. if his wife and kids are at home. I don't sleep here either. He'll go sit in the damn car in the street. You should see, I mean, you can't, you can't see the house here. But it's a it's not an old house. It's pretty yeah. modern. This, yeah. And the studio's brand new. So yeah. we know that's not modern. You can't even sleep in here. The ghosts haven't even moved in yet. <laughs> <laughs> but uh if if my family are gone and my wife is gone, I sleep in the car in the driveway. Wow. Because things be fucking moving. Man. I mean, you, know, you really sleep in the driveway? Yeah, I dream oh, in the yeah. car in the driveway, you know. And uh, you know, when I first started dating my wife, we we weren't hitting it off very well because she'd come back. And say, you know, I could tell you we've been somewhere else because your bed ain't is made up and all the rest of stuff made up. I said, you know, I don't sleep in the bed, you know. I mean, I never slept in the bed. I don't sleep in the bed, you know. As you know, so it took her a while to realize that I wasn't out cheating and doing, you know, with some girls and hanging. Mm-hmm. I just don't sleep in the bed if there's nobody else in the bed. I don't get in the bed. So I told her if the bed wasn't made up, now you got something to worry about. You right, know what right, I mean? Yeah, yeah. I want if you book me in a hotel, I need to be in a modern hotel. Yeah. More modern than oh, I don't want to see that old modern. spooky stuff. Yeah, with glass. So yeah, lots of glass. I, I got to face the street. Don't put me facing the back wall. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I love it. And he wrote the song Ghostbusters. Yeah. And he scared the In Europe, sometimes I slept on a tour bus while everybody else was at the Ritz Carlton. You know. Did you really? Yeah, I'm scared wow. to sleep in the rooms yeah. a couple of times. Wow. There's a hotel in England, Mayfair. I ain't like that hotel. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> Hysterical. That's yeah. great. Oh, that's great. So yes, I'm afraid of ghosts. Yeah, yeah. So so we we've stumbled upon one of my little hobbies, which is ghost hunting. Now really? I I I'm not going. I got a question. You can play my music, but I ain't go. going with you. <laughs> Did you ever watch uh Paranormal State? The show? Yes. Did you ever watch Psychic Children? It was on mm-hmm. A as well? Okay, well, I have a house in Atlanta, Georgia. My next door neighbor was a star of one of those shows. His name is Chip Coffee. Mm-hmm. He's like one of the biggest. I, I've met Chip. Okay, he lives right next door to me in Atlanta. Literally right next door. We still keep in touch with each other. I, I, I met I met Chip at one of the um, one of the taps events at the Stanley Hotel in Colorado. Okay, yeah, he's big time into that stuff. So, so Ray, I, I just I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because it has nothing to do with anything, and, and <laughs> talk about. It. But I, I have to know since since you seem to have this aversion to spirits, have you had an experience? I mean, besides no. you know shit moving around. No, 
No, you just, just strange. Just, just yeah, you know, there's just something strange in the neighborhood. You know? <laughs> when I see it, it don't look good, and I don't know who to call. Now, do you feel like you see like somebody's behind you? And you no, like when you're by yourself. No, or? I just the the curtains start moving. <laughs> <laughs> you mean the air conditioner makes the curtains move? No, no. I mean things. You know, I, things move. You know, right by themselves. You know, people tell me that the things aren't moving, and I tell them, I, I, you're telling me the things aren't moving, right? And you know, no matter where I'm, they tell me, look, I'm gonna go in there with you, and they sit with me for a while, and they don't see anything moving. Mm. And you know, I tell them, yeah, I got it. So they say, you know, the curtains aren't moving. I say, I understand that the curtains aren't moving, but you should tell the curtains they're not moving. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like... So oh, I love it. The creative mind goes different ways, by the way. Have we just derailed this entire podcast? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing something right there. <laughs> That's the only way to go. Tom, Tom, how often does that happen? I mean, come on. <laughs> we're, 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 we we've hijacked our podcast. And, 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 right. You know, yeah, right. didn't know you were stepping into one of my weird hobbies, so that's that's all good. Yeah. I'm going to ask the question. I'm going to ask it baldly, and if we have to edit it out, that's great. Um, Why would we have to edit it out? The kid is not mine. <laughs> but, Fran, I, I have to know. Yeah. Before you filmed Hired Gun, did you know going in that Billy Joel was such a douchebag? I had no idea. By but, the way, Billy, Billy Joel isn't such a douchebag. I mean, he doesn't know all the story. I don't Billy, know Joel, the whole story. Billy Joel should have stood up for himself, but we don't know the whole yeah. story. But there's well, some. And, and Ray, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I was thinking as, sort of that as a follow up today um, because, you know, watching that film, and, and we've talked about it. Billy Joel comes off terribly. Yeah, yeah. Abs- absolutely terrible. So does so does Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since I've seen Hired Gun, I have had a mental block concerning right. Billy Joel. I can't yeah, even think real, about listening to him. To yeah, that's... However, and, and I'll just, I'll, I'll tell you sort of where I was thinking today as I was, I was preparing for this and thinking about it, because all of the, the footage you had of Billy obviously was, you know, from years ago. I don't know exactly what era it was. And, you know, I, I've certainly, you know, gone through periods in my life where I've been completely full of myself and said things maybe I shouldn't have and anything else. And so that was one of my questions. Based on what you had, Billy Joel came off one way, and, and I wonder if, if he still feels that way or if, if if he himself thinks, you know, maybe I did some things I shouldn't have done when I was younger, but, you know, that's... No, Can I answer that question? Yeah. First of all, we don't know what Billy Joel is thinking, but mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is, is Billy Joel is an artist, right? So he's got that creative mind. You can call it genius if you want to. And, and I'm here to tell you, all of those guys are just a little bit off. You know, I see curtains moving. I'm not even the Billy Joel, okay? Yeah. So, but you're not an asshole. Yeah, but you know what's an asshole? <laughs> right. Billy Joel paid those guys a lot of money for That's for twenty five, thirty years. Yep. How about if I paid you a million dollars a year, and in the thirtieth year I just didn't call you no more? Would that make me an asshole? Or would you say, "Well, shoot, don't y'all talk bad about Ray? He gave me thirty million dollars." Right. You know, so you I mean, which one? Not granted. For me not to just cut you off at the end of thirty years and not tell you I'm gonna cut you off. That's not so pleasant, right? But does it make me an asshole if I paid you the million dollars a year for the 30 years? It, it depends on what you say about not paying me the, the $30 million in the last year. 
Okay, well, let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. If you pay me a million dollars every year for 30 years, I don't give a shit what you do. You and my good side. For the rest of my life. For the rest of my life, you are on my good side. Right. Well, let me tell you what people, I did. People say the same thing about me and Clive Davis. They say, well, yeah, but he didn't re-sign you and put your new record out and all the rest of us. I says, Clive Davis has already given me the world. Right, right. What, I need two worlds now? Here, so, here, you know. Here's my takeaway from... From that interview with the, the Billy Camp, so we, you know, to, to be neutral, we I did reach out to Billy Joel, and I did get a response. He said that he was interested, and could he see the transcripts, and if I had anything edited, and in a documentary, you want to be as transparent as possible, and you know, and show everything. So I sent him the clips, sent him the trans the transcripts. He watched them, and they're, they're exactly what you see in the movie right now. Same cuts, nothing's been cut out, and. <laughs> Didn't hear anything for a couple of days, and I get an email from the Eastman's lawyer, like the mm -hmm. Beatles lawyer, yeah. and with a cease and desist. Well, I immediately panic because we had spent tens of thousands of dollars on all the archival <laughs> and all the, I mean, literally like $40,000 building that story, maybe more. So I was tripped out. I was like, oh my God, we've got to, you know, this is going to be horrible, you know? Um, and our lawyers said, you have nothing to worry about. There's nothing he can do to shut down the movie. Mm -hmm. So just continue on building your story out or whatnot. And I reached out to him again a second time. I'm like, hey, I just want to let you know that I am moving forward. However, I did put a scene in there about him getting ripped off $90 million by his brother-in-law, who was his money manager. To me, that, you know, if, if I'm being honest with myself and to the audience, that was the turning point for Billy. Billy has treated his band pretty fair financially. Gave them a lot of money. Uh, I'm not in that position. I don't know how these guys fire, hire, re, you know, bring people in or out. Um, I was just there to tell a story. And by uh, the way, I know what it is. It's sometimes you, you get fired. It hadn't happened to me, but it's not pleasant. I mean, it's not like right. you know. It's just not. I mean, the entertainment business is not pleasant it's sometimes. Harsh. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's and that's how I told the story. You know, and I stick to my guns, and that's the way I, I uh, interpreted what went down. And the stories I heard from the people that were dealing with him is that, you know, look, they were like a family <coughs> growing up. And then if you let that kind of fame get to your head sometimes, and I've seen that happen with people I work real close with, their ego just goes out of control. <laughs> they can become power freaks, uh, egomaniacs, and narcissists. And it's not fun to deal with, you know, right. and it can turn you into an asshole, you know, but I I've never met Billy Joel in my life. Uh, I still love his music. I still listen to it. I think he's a genius songwriter. Ray, have you ever had anyone, um, especially early in your career when you were moving up and you were young, that was, um, that treated you poorly or was Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the worst case we're going to put in our movie, Van Morrison. Oh God! He never even heard me take. He never even heard me play. I didn't get the guitar out the case before I not only got fired. I didn't get paid, and he was 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 acting weird. He told me as I was a spy from Warner Brothers. You know what? And Mac Rebinet put that on his website, so you can read about it on his website. And then you know later that night, about three o'clock and two thirty in the morning. I'm sleeping in the heat in Oxford, England with no clothes on. He finds his way to my bedroom and I wake up thinking something weird's going on and he's standing over me. Naked. Yeah. <laughs> well, he wasn't naked, uh, but I was naked. Why is he in my bedroom watching me naked? I mean, I, you know, 
I, I'll let y'all draw your own conclusion, but <laughs> it reminds me of that scene in Sling Blade when Carl's at the door when his the wife and the husband are in bed and he's got that hammer. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so were there no locks on the door? No, there were no locks on the door. We were in a, in a castle in England. Oh, okay. In Oxford, you know. Wow. A place called a manor we were recording at. And it oh was just, uh, you know. Oh. Oh, man. Oh. That's one of many. There's a lot of things you could say happened, but, you know, what's the point? Right. <laughs> Have you ever been on a gig and you, and uh, the artist or the producer didn't think you were good enough and just no. kind of hurt your feelings? Nope. Over? Okay. That's cool. Like, you're not cutting it, man. Yeah, the only one said I wasn't cutting it was Van Morrison. He never heard me play. And he never heard you play. My guitar was in the case, so that didn't really bother me that oh, much. Wow. He just walked in and said, you, you spy from Warner Brothers, you know. I, I think that translated to you. You're the cutest guy I've ever seen. Can I see your top? <laughs> I love it. You know what I mean? I don't know what the heck this guy was about. Weird. Most of the stuff we talk about is progressive rock, mm -hmm. but I love Herbie Hancock. Secrets is one of my favorite. Mm -hmm. How much of that record are you on? I don't remember. <laughs> are you kidding me? I was like 19 when we did. I mean, I know I'm on it, and I wrote some of the songs, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I did all of it, but I can't really remember. Mm. You know, uh, that's so many years ago, and I did so many records with Herbie Hancock. And oh, he, he wrote Windows. some songs on my album. Mm -hmm. I did live at Carnegie Hall. I remember the VSOP album mm -hmm. live. I, I'm on that, I, but I'm on. You know, I just was with Herbie two weeks ago oh, in San Diego. Uh, yeah, in San Diego. Uh, so we're still really good friends. Quincy Jones last week. Yeah, Herbie yeah, yeah, week before. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Bill Weathers a couple of days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We come weeks ago before you. Fran, real quick. Yeah. 30 seconds or less. I know you love Judas Priest. Yes. We love concept <laughs> albums. Yeah. Oh. What are your thoughts on Nostradamus? Loved it. Yeah? I don't give a shit what anybody says. I think it's a masterpiece. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You know, there's only been one new band in the past 10 years I even like. A band called Ghost. Oh. It's the only thing I listen to that's new anymore. No kidding. That's it, Ghost. No kidding. <clears throat> I think they're fabulous. Well, we talked about, um, you know, we, we want to, we'll bring you on when we talk about Nostradamus. I'm still trying to talk these guys into it. They actually haven't heard it yet. You haven't heard Nostradamus? I, I have not heard Nostradamus yet. But you're a communist. You gotta go. <laughs> you got communist. No, no, hey, don't, don't give me that shit, Tom. You know that I'm gonna listen to it. What? Okay, if you like progress, what do you think of Sabotage? You ever listen to Sabotage? Sabotage? I haven't heard that either. I haven't heard it. You Ain't black enough wait. for me. <laughs> <laughs> you guys call yourself Prague? You haven't heard Sabotage? Mm. They're now now they're TSO, Trans Siberian Orchestra. Mm. Oh, I know. Oh, okay. Trans Siberian Orchestra. Yeah, the guy that owned it just died. I know. Paul, Paul, yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, to how about this? Trans Siberian Orchestra was a death metal band out mm. of Tampa, Florida. That was wow. progressive metal. Mm. You got to listen to it. They had a concept album called Streets. I was really good friends with a guitar yeah. player. I was killed by a Well, Paul O'Neill was dating my um, oldest son's mother. She was yeah, like Paul his mistress. Was, or whatever. Yeah, he was a genius, though. He's mm. married. She was his mistress, I guess. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm does. glad he started paying yes. her and took over so right. I could get a break. <laughs> <laughs> so, so one of the episodes that, that we want to do is a, a metal concept album 
episode where we talk about that. So that's what well, you should do. Streets. I'll send you the link to Streets so you can listen to some fabulous record. It's all over the place. Yeah. Great, great musicianship. Hmm. Yeah, really cool, strong record. And then Nostradamus, you got to listen. I love. Did you like it? Love it. I mean, it was. One I of the, love yeah. that album. I mean, that is. It's so underrated. It really is. Yeah. It, it's they. They branched out. I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, there's yeah. just really beautiful moments in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I'm, I tell these guys all the time, it's like, we love concept albums, right? Yeah. I mean, you mm-hmm. know. Did go, you ever do a concept? Google Gaga. I'm doing it now. Oh, guys. So it's a concept, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. there you go. So um, so let's let's talk a little bit about the, um, the the new project that you guys have going on. Now, we've, we've sort of touched on it a little bit mm-hmm. as we've gone through – um, you know, this discussion here today where, you know, Ray brings a, a wealth of stories to the table. And so that warrants a, a deeper look. Is that, I mean, is that kind of what started it? And, and yeah. And, and also, also we got to get it out of my brain before I forget it all. Well, that's important. Yeah. <laughs> and look, you know, the, the, the cool thing about this film, like you said, man, it took years for a hired gun. It's not going to take. It's going to take less than a year to get this entire movie finished. You know, one one of the really cool things is, uh, you know, the music stuff takes forever to get cleared. Like there was some like Bon Jovi wanted it. Mm, yeah. Took for uh, Kiss Detroit Rock City took till one yeah. week before a world premiere to get cleared. It took six months to clear that damn song. Wow. Because they got to get Bob Ezrin who wrote some of it and Paul Stanley to get together and you know like okay we'll do it for the three thousand or whatever we paid for it. It's just a pain in the ass. But Ray owns a majority of the music that he wrote. So it's a clear-cut deal. You know, what's he going to say? No to your own movie? Right. <laughs> you know, any publishing girl will. She'll be like, I don't care whose movie it is. I know. <laughs> no, no, no. Sure, shit. Um, and then all the archival, and we kind of already know who we're going to interview, so it's all right here. You know, I, I bet you we could get all the interviews. Yeah, done yeah, we can get month. the stuff going. Yeah. yeah, the 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 hurdles just. And we can get in. all the new music done too. I'll do the new music. We'll get the yeah, stuff. Yeah, so the accompanying the the new movie is going to be the release of Ray's new record he's working on right now, which by the way is killer. There's some really fun music. Yeah, that could be part of the backdrop for the films. We can put yeah. some tracks in there, and I can cut some grooves and stuff and lay it under like it's walking around Detroit. We'll have our own grooves. Yeah, you know? yeah. So you know, Ray, Ray, like I said, Ray's stories. I mean, you're listening to it right here firsthand, uh, and I and I learn new stuff just hanging around him every day. It's some of these stories he's telling me, I'm like, you got to keep. Just, one day we're just gonna sit down for a week. Yeah. No telephones. And no I'm gonna telephones. Make, I'm just going to make you go no deep. No telephones. <laughs> I know, right? Who are you going to call? For a week. Exactly. We're going to call him. We're going we're gonna to call Ray's cerebral brain mm. and be like, tell me all this shit for the last 30 mm. years, 40 years. But yeah, there, there's so much cool stuff. I'm super excited about it. Uh, matter of fact, I'm more excited about this than I am a hired gun, to be honest with you, because, uh, you know, this is something I'll be able to take ownership in and then create from beginning to end with his blessing. See, I'm excited, not that he's excited. Yeah, I've been Let's excited. get going. Yeah, yeah. let's go. So, uh, you know, the hard thing, you know what's the hardest thing? Hired Gun was so easy to make on one turn because we were fully funded. Like, mm-hmm. we came in with a guy who was like, I believe in the project, I'm passionate about it. Here you go. So the least amount of thing I was worried about was finances. Well, let's get him to do it. You know what? Tell him I will change the name of the movie to Who You Gonna Gun. 
<laughs> and then he, then he could be happy, you know. I know. So this guy's the inside joke. We can't go no further. Yeah, yeah. But I'll yeah. call it who you gonna gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of who so, you gonna call, who oh you gonna gun? God, that's then funny. he'll then he'll give us. Yeah. So that, that was easy. But when you got when you got nothing to work with and you've got all these ideas brewing, yeah. it's, it's fucking just a weight. So you know, of course, we hold meetings with a lot of people, and if you can imagine in LA, there's a lot of flaky weirdos. Oh my gosh! So like, oh yeah, well, well, you know, get Ray over to the house to hang out with us. We'll fund this thing. Yeah, okay? We'll do the whole thing. Yeah, we'll do the whole thing. So we bring Ray in and give him the red carpet treatment, and then there's you just, well, I well we'll f- go to the bank and get ten percent. Yeah, you know, or after uh, we fill out this paper and you hire, what did he say? Hire this girl. Put her on retainer. Did he say something about hiring her to put on retainer to get the money? The but, next thing I know. I'm like, what are you kidding me? And when I did yeah. that, you know, I left the room. That's what I'm going to you get. You left the room. I, I just sit there and talk to him. <laughs> oh, I'm sitting there. You just hear waste so of time. much. Flake. Oh, so many flakes. I can't imagine what you've had to do. Yeah, when I heard I mean, that, I was like, like, oh, another one. And it's just gutting because you spent a lot of, I spent a lot of time and resources. Yeah. You know. Hanging out, learning, and doing research at home, and making all these decks and budgets. I mean, weeks, months. You know what it takes to do yeah. research on a film. It just yeah. takes forever. And then to get your hopes. I now don't even get my hopes up. I go in thinking you're a flake. Right. You know, automatically you're a flake. I hate that. I don't yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, you're negative. Yeah. So if I'm. It's uh, called know. profiling. You're a flake. Yeah, exactly. Start off, yeah. yeah. Now, show, you, show me you're not a flake. You know? Yeah, you can't pee in my Starbucks. Get yeah. the hell out of here. You're a flake. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're in a situation where, on one hand, the movie is easier to make, but on the other hand, it's harder to actually... If we had the money, the movie would be done in, in six right. months. Done. Mixed, yeah. final master, everything, for sure. And we're shooting it on film. Joe, are you a millionaire? Are you Am a I a millionaire? No, I'm a chemist, man. I'm Shut up, man. <laughs> <laughs> Ask his dog. Maybe he's yeah, lying to right? The dog's a... Ah, Let me see that dog collar. <laughs> yeah, man. You can always tell by the dog collar. Let me see that dog collar. He has it blinged out. <laughs> there's there's nothing gilded about Thor's collar. He's a... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's funny. The dog, when the dog has the, the Ferragamo dog collar, oh, then we you know, know you're rich. Uh, well, this has been great. Um, yeah. Joe, are you yeah. pretty much... Are we going to wrap it up? Or yeah, my wife's to... cooking, so you oh, go she really? ask you. Oh, yeah, I bet he's... So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, there were there were other things, but maybe we can have you guys back some other time and, and, and finish up. But uh, this has been absolutely fantastic. Yeah. We'll certainly appreciate you uh, you two gentlemen taking some time out of your schedule to uh, to talk with us. For sure. Um, like I said, we were, we were thrilled to finally see Hired Gun um, late last year, and it's, you know, it's great that it's, it's available on. Was there anybody in the theater? How how did it, how did it do in Texas? You know, I I was I, I had I've never been to any one of these sorts of fathom event movie events, so I, I didn't really know what to expect. But in the theater that I was in, you know, there was I, I want to say there was probably like 40, 50 people, which was way more than I expected. Um, yeah. I, I don't know how many people go to these sorts of things, but, but well, I know that Houston was yeah. sold out, Orlando's. There's some that sold out, like 200, 300 theaters. But uh, I thought it was very ambitious for them to try to put it in 320 theaters. That was a lot of movie theaters. Mm. Yeah, lot. and and Texas is a little weird. So you know, I, I you never really know what what plays well um, down here. But it was 
yeah, like I said, I was I was just happy to uh, to finally see it, and uh, it's great it's great to uh, get a chance to talk about it with you guys. So we really really appreciate that, Tom. As always, thanks for putting this together, my friend. Sure thing. It's good talking to you, Joe. As yeah. always. Yeah. <laughs> go listen to Nostradamus. Yeah, go listen. You heard it. You heard it from Fran. <laughs> I will I I will listen to Nostradamus, if not today, by the weekend. All right. All right. Hold you to it. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this very special episode of Progressive Palaver. We hope you've enjoyed this uh, conversation with Fran Strine and Ray Parker Jr. here about the documentary Hired Gun. Highly recommend you go out and see that. And their upcoming project, Who You Gonna Call? As always, we look forward to your thoughts, your comments, your feedback, your questions, your concerns. You can reach us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. We are at ProudPala. P-R-O-G-P-A-A-L-A on each of those. And you can search for Progressive Palaver. And you can also email us, progpala at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is, as always, available for subscription and download on both iTunes and Google Play. And we are hosted on SoundCloud.